At the end of a hard week, it's great to sit down, take some time off, and watch some football. Game-winning touchdowns on two-minute drives, running backs racing down the sidelines with no one to stop them. There's nothing else like the NFL, and there's no better way to make the games even more exciting than to bet on them. So do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag. No one gives you more ways to win than they do. MyBookie's got the fastest payouts and better lines than any other sports book. Don't forget, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on, and mybookie.ag is the best in the business. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code Locked On to activate this offer. That's promo code Locked On. L O C K E D O N. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What's up and welcome to Crossover Wednesdays here on the Locked On Podcast Network. I am James Yarko, one of the hosts of Locked On Bucks, joined by Corbin Smith, one of the hosts of Locked On Seahawks. Corbin, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Looking forward to this game coming up on Sunday. That would make one of us. <laughs> this, this is not going to go well. This is oh, football makes me so sad. I guess I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum, although the second half in Atlanta kind of made me feel that way a little bit. But luckily, the Seahawks had a 24-point lead, so yeah. they will hang on. But If there's one thing we know about the Falcons, it's that they just can't handle 24-point leads. <laughs> yeah, No, they, uh, they have not handled that historically well, at least with Dan <laughs> Quinn there. They have not handled that too well, no. Yeah, well, and, and one of the solaces for Buccaneers fans is watching Dirk Cutter in Atlanta be the only team in the NFC South worse than the Buccaneers. But, Corbin, let's go ahead and dive in because for the Seahawks fans, for the past, you know, I, I can't even remember how long he's been in the league now. Russell Wilson is just magnificent. I love that guy. He He has 17 touchdowns this season, leads NFL quarterbacks. One interception, one. And and you see, we live in a fantasy football world. So you don't see guys on the Seahawks blowing up like you see with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin in Tampa. But the the Seattle receiving court are no slouches. I mean, I'm a huge Tyler Lockett fan. I really like him a lot. But what's been going on with Russell Wilson to be having such an incredible season so far that absolutely nobody is talking about? Well, I don't know that necessarily that nobody's talking about it. He's been getting quite a bit of MVP buzz, uh, even from the big media outlets the past few weeks. He's definitely in the discussion, which a few years ago he wouldn't have been. And I think part of it is that, you know, Seattle's tucked all the way up there in the Pacific Northwest, and I do think that's a factor behind it. And he also plays in an offense that's still very run-oriented, but he is the most efficient quarterback in the NFL he just became uh, – he took over as the third uh, third most touchdown passes in NFL history for any quarterback in his first eight seasons. 
So this is a guy that even though his volume, the number of throws that he gets to make is limited compared to a lot of other quarterbacks in the league. He's incredibly efficient, throws a lot of touchdowns. They're going to take their strikes downfield. And other than his interception that he telegraphed and threw to Marcus Peters two weeks ago, he's been extremely good at keeping the football away from the opposing football team. So he's extremely accurate. He has great chemistry with his receivers. Even rookie DK Metcalf, those two, you think they've been together for three or four years with the chemistry that they're developing. So this is a team that without Doug Baldwin, a lot of people thought they were going to take a step back throwing the football in. They've been inconsistent at times, but that hasn't been on Russell Wilson's plate. He has just been fantastic. Uh, Looking at this Tampa Bay defense, obviously Todd Bowles has been brought in bringing in a nice toolbox of exotic blitzes and schemes. This is a defensive coordinator that has had success in the past against Russell Wilson. They're blitzing 47% of the time on dropbacks this year, though. Uh, Russell Wilson's been one of the best quarterbacks in the league for a long time at beating the blitz. Uh, How concerned are you with Tampa Bay's reliance on that going against the Seahawks passing attack? Well, I mean, it's it's kind of the same as – against any quarterback if the bucks don't get there with the blitz there's no faith in the secondary to be able to stop the pass so it's kind of a damned if you do damned if you don't situation if if you're not blitzing you're not going to create pressure and the quarterback is just going to wait for for a receiving option to open up if you do blitz hopefully you get there and they've had a lot more success getting there so far this season than they have in the past few you know, you have you have Shaq Barrett who leads the NFL with 10 sacks already this is a team that went over 10 years without having a player get double digit sacks and they have a guy who's done it in 7 games now but the secondary is is so bad that if you don't get home on the blitz you're pretty much screwed anyway so whether it's Russell Wilson or Daniel Jones or Ryan Tannehill last week, uh, the blitz has to get there for this defense to have any kind of success whatsoever. So it pretty much seems par for the course for, uh, you know, for the, the team to go against a quarterback that can pick you apart, whether you're, you're dropping eight or you're, you're blitzing. You mentioned, that this is still a a run first team and I'm a big, I'm a big Chris Carson guy, but his usage to me a lot of times is baffling. It seems like the, the slightest mistake and Pete Carroll will put him on the bench to the detriment of the team as a punishment. And it, it just, it's mind boggling to me the past couple of weeks though. Carson has been an incredibly effective weapon how is the run game doing so far this season for those that haven't followed the Seahawks? And is Chris Carson really starting over the past few weeks, really starting to assert himself as a guy that Pete Carroll just can't afford to take off the field, no matter if he fumbles the ball or not? Well, honestly, when you look back at the way the Seahawks handled this entire situation, Carson had three lost fumbles the first three games. But aside from sitting out a good portion of the second half against the Saints, the Seahawks have kept playing him and kept giving him the football. So they've instilled their faith in him. It was a little different last year. Pete Carroll got uh, ripped into it a little bit from the media because especially the Bears game in week two, he wasn't even tired. He'd barely been on the field. And then Pete Carroll said after the game, well, he was gassed and he clearly wasn't. So there have been some issues in the past with usage with him, but not this year. He has really 
asserted himself as the workhorse. He had three straight 100-yard games starting in week four, uh, just missed uh, having another 100-yard game this past weekend against the Atlanta Falcons. He had most of his rushing damage coming in the first half. So what's just so fun to watch about him running the football is he's just got that unique blend of power and wiggle. He can make guys miss in space by juking them, and he can bull you over. He can throw a nasty stiff arm. He can hurl you. He's just a phenomenal athlete, and he, he looks like he was chiseled by the Greek gods. He's just one of those rare running <laughs> backs that you see him just looking like somebody chiseled him out of stone. He just ripped. The dude's in phenomenal shape. And he's just had a, he's had an excellent season after a slow start with the fumbles. Hasn't put the ball on the ground the last five games, and they continue to feed him early and often. And the other thing that he does so well is catch the football out of the backfield. Now they've made a much greater emphasis on getting their running backs involved in the passing game, which could be something that maybe is beneficial this week against Tampa Bay. Although looking at their secondary, I expect they're going to be aggressive get, trying to get the ball downfield as long as they can protect against the blitz. Wilson's always been lethal against the blitz. But as I said earlier, Todd Bowles has had a lot of success in the past when he was the Cardinals defensive coordinator before he went to the Jets. Uh, he had some success rattling Russell Wilson. So there's a little less talent there than what he had in Arizona at that time. But certainly he's had success there. So I wouldn't rule him out being able to give some looks that frustrate Wilson a little bit. You mentioned the pass rush. The other thing I want to talk about with this Tampa Bay defense, I was looking, speaking of running and run defense, <laughs> the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have given up three yards per carry this year. So while the passing defense has been atrocious much of the time, the run defense has been arguably the best. What do you think has been the biggest factor that's caused that? Was it adding Indomitian Sue to that front line, or there's some other things that have made it that they are the best run defense in football? Just one run over 20 yards given up this year. Uh, Sue certainly helps. It's the emergence of Vita Vea. Vita Vea anchors the middle of that line and makes it incredibly difficult for opposing teams to run the ball. Now, <clears throat> we saw against the Titans, they were trying to run Derrick Henry outside a little bit. And we've seen it with Christian McCaffrey, too. You know, they they try to run him outside. And the the speed at which Levante David plays football, there's a reason he's nicknamed the Flash. It's really been incredible to watch him play. And in fact, on yesterday's episode, I said that he's the only member of this entire team that has shown up every single game and done his job without question. So I attribute a lot of the ability to shut down the run on Vita Vea and Indomitian Sue being able to collapse the middle of, of the line. And then Levante David's sideline to sideline speed, being able to track down running backs and being a sure tackler. We've seen we've seen a lot of running backs or a lot of even receivers on these short screen passes or or quick swing passes, you know, get hit behind the line and break free and still end up gaining six, seven, eight yards. When Levante David is the guy that closes in, there is no gaining six, seven, eight yards. There's gaining none. As soon as he gets his hands on someone, they're down. And it he might be playing the best football we have seen him play since he's been in the league and it's it, hats off to him because he's, he's the main reason why the defense is playing better. I'm not going to say that they're, they're a good defense because as great as they are against the run, number one in the NFL, they're dead last in the NFL against the pass. So, you know, it balances out a little bit, but we live in a passing world. We, we are in the era of, of a pass heavy NFL 
if this was the defense back when when you and I started watching football in in the days of the Emmett Smiths and the Barry Sanders and the yeah, even a little bit later with the Ladanian Tomlinsons and the Priest Holmes, then this team could be a lot better like they were back in 2002 with that defense. But we live in such a pass heavy world that as great as this rushing defense is in their ability to shut down guys like Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey has his two worst outings of the year. The Buccaneers are the only team to hold him to under a hundred all purpose yards. And they did it twice, but they're still giving up, you know, 300 plus yards per game in the air so it's it's great to hang your hat on that but at the same time it's it's a very um oh what's the word i'm looking for uh it's very bittersweet because you know that teams will just stop running the ball because they know they're going to crush you in the air but switching over to to seattle's defense now we're we're past the era of the legion of boom we're past the era yeah (laughs) we're we're past that era where the Seahawks are talked about in the conversation as having one of the best defenses in the NFL. They're currently giving up, I I think, what is it, 24 and a half points per game. So this Seattle defense can be scored on. And the Buccaneers offense is built as such that they can go blow for blow with a team as long as they're not beating themselves. So what, what do you look at when you see the Seattle defense going up against guys like Mike Evans, like Chris Godwin, you have the emergence of Ronald Jones. What, what weaknesses are there on the Seattle defense that this Buccaneers offense and Bruce Arians might draw up to expose, to try to steal a desperately needed road victory? Well, the Seahawks have had a lot more trouble this year giving up explosive plays downfield. So that's something to keep an eye on with Evans as well as Godwin but I I look at the matchup between Evans and Shaquille Griffin Shaquille Griffin is having a a Pro Bowl caliber year in his third season for the Seahawks he's been one of the bright spots on this defense and he's done a great job shutting guys down throughout the season really the only game that he had that was kind of and it really wasn't bad he had one big play that he gave up uh, against the Rams but otherwise he's been great he had a couple pass deflections working against Julio Jones in coverage the other day uh, so he's had a great year I, I think he and Mike Evans that matchup is going to be a nice chess match but I don't know about Godwin going up against Trey Flowers potentially Flowers missed last week's game if he's not 100% healthy uh, that's a problem and the drop off from him to Akeem King who is their third corner is a very large one there's a big talent gap there and, and I like Akeem King there's some things that he can do uh, as a third secondary guy in the nickel package that he can give you some size. He can defend tight ends well, uh, but there is a big drop off there. So if they don't have Trey Flowers, then I look for Bruce Arians to have Jameis Winston and company try to really exploit that. And the other issue the Seahawks have had, even though they added Ziggy Anza and Judevian Clowney, they have not been able to get to the quarterback very often. Clowney's having a really good year. It's just not projecting in the sacks department. He had a second sack on Sunday against the Falcons. He's been outstanding as a run defender. He's been so close to getting a bunch of other sacks, and they just feel like that game is coming. I don't know if it'll be this Sunday, but there will be a game where he's going to bust out with two or three sacks because he's been getting really close. But the pass rush overall has not been great. 
So that would be the concern that I would have. Can you get enough pressure on Jameis Winston? Because you know he'll uncork some picks. He'll uncork some bad throws if you get pressure in his face. And this is a Buccaneers line that when I was looking back, I don't know that this is all their fault. I haven't been able to watch a lot of their games, but they're giving up four sacks per game against Jameis Winston. So this is kind of one of those something's got to give matchups. The offensive line hasn't played great for Tampa, and Seattle's pass rush has been a little bit disappointing to this point. Spoiler alert, what we'll give is the Bucks offensive line because they've been giving up all year long. So I fully expect Ansa and Jadavion Clowney to have a field day. Uh, in fact, one of Jameis's turnovers against the Titans was solely because the left tackle decided not to put a hand on a defensive end and he came untouched and and hit Winston's arm as he was throwing. So yeah, uh, Ziggy Ansah and Jadavion Clowney put the fear of God in me this week uh, against this, uh, this drastically overpaid Buccaneers offensive line. (laughs) All right. Well, Corbin, what is the key matchup that you are keeping your eye on for this game? So I already outlined one that I'm certainly going to be watching, and that's going to be Griffin against Evans, just because I think that those are two guys that are near the top of their craft. Mike Evans obviously has been an outstanding receiver since he came into the league. Shaquille Griffin had kind of a rough second season, but again, I think he's playing at a Pro Bowl level. I've had some people say, well, he doesn't have any interceptions. I'm like, that's not the only thing you look at for corners. I mean, teams are not completing passes on him very often. He's not given up big explosive plays. He's been much better tackling people. Uh, he's just had a great year. So that's going to be a matchup that I want to watch. And, and another one that I'm going to be watching really closely in this game, we, we talked about the run defense for Tampa Bay. Uh, I'm going to be watching Russell Wilson against that blitz-happy defense. Is he going to have time to be able to get the ball downfield? Because if he does, if he's able to uncork some shots downfield, I would be really confident in the Seahawks receiving trio of uh, uh, David Moore, DK Metcalf, and Tyler Lockett, those three being able to do significant damage, not just over the top, but after the catch against that Buccaneers secondary. If the Buccaneers are able to get pressure on Russell Wilson, though, and prevent them from getting those downfield throws, this has a chance to be a game where the Seahawks offense struggles to find a little bit of traction, especially because it's going to be tough to run the football against these guys. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, one of your key matchups is exactly what I was going to talk about. And that was the Buccaneers front seven against Russell Wilson. They have to get home on those blitzes. Shaq Barrett, Jason Pierre-Paul, Carl Nassib, uh, Vita Vea, and Dominic, all those guys, they have to be able to get Wilson, get him off his spot and do it quick enough that the secondary isn't having to sit there and, and shut down these receivers for long extended periods of time. The other matchup that I'm going to take a look at is one that I talked about really heavily last week. I'm going to talk about it really heavily this week, and I'm going to talk about it one more time next week, and that is the utilization of, if he's healthy, O.J. Howard and Cameron Bray against these defenses that are so bad against the tight end. The Seattle Seahawks are ranked 30th in the NFL defending against tight ends. Now, will O.J. Howard play since he did not get traded, obviously? We don't know. He still has that hamstring injury. Um, Cameron Brait left the game against the Titans, was able to come back in. But again, they're not utilizing the tight ends. You saw Brashad Perryman have five or six targets against the Titans last week. 
nothing to show for it. He dropped a sure two-point conversion because he stepped out of bounds, gave up on a route that resulted in an interception. They have to utilize these tight ends as the third receiver and the Seattle defense. And the next week against Arizona, these are the defenses that are susceptible to big plays when you're utilizing the tight end, just like the Titans were. But again, the Bucs didn't utilize it. This is on the shoulders of Byron Leftwich. And I realize that Bruce Arians historically has not used his tight ends very well or very much, but he hasn't had them like he does in Howard and Braid. And we keep pounding this table and we keep screaming into our pillows because OJ Howard and Cam Braid are so athletically gifted. And I understand the shortcomings of the offensive line may result in OJ Howard having to stay and help block, especially against guys like Ziggy Ansa and Jadavian Clowney. Well, you still have an athletic pass catching tight end in Cameron Braid and no third receiver, no matter how many times, <clears throat> no matter how many times you trot out Brashad Perryman or Scotty Miller or Bobo Wilson or whoever it was. They're not stepping up and being that number three guy. When you have one in a pass-catching tight end going up against a defense that gives up yards and, and touchdowns two tight ends, you have to utilize that. They blew it against Tennessee in doing so. They have to step up and do it against Seattle. You have to use the tight end if you're going to have a chance to win this game. And frankly, I don't have the faith that Byron Leftwich is going to draw up the plays for the Buccaneers to do so. I'm going to add a little bit to that because this has been something I've been talking about on locked on Seahawks for several weeks. They've been running a lot more base defense this year, and part of it's just because they've got a really good trio of linebackers, Michael Kendricks, Bobby Wagner, and K.J. Wright. They're at their best when they have the, you know, when you're looking at your best 11 players, they're at their best when those three are on the field. Uh, but again, this is a league that is leaning towards being more pass happy now. So it, that's going against trends a little bit. And Pete Carroll is convinced that this is their best defense. They've had their moments. They've just been very up and down. And they should thank their lucky stars a few weeks ago that it was raining out in Seattle and raining heavy because Mark Andrews, the Ravens' normally reliable tight end, dropped several passes including a would-be touchdown in the end zone so uh, they've gotten lucky at times and there have been other games like Gerald Everett just absolutely killed them with over 100 receiving yards a few weeks ago when the Rams were in town they've had trouble with other guys Austin Hooper had some good yardage this past weekend uh, for the Falcons so that has been a consistent issue for them that and tackling running backs out of the backfield when they catch the football that's been a lot of trouble for them as well so uh, they've had issues with running backs and tight ends receivers just as much if not more than actual receivers so that's <laughs> that's kind of been every week uh, kind of been a main point of emphasis can they actually defend a tight end and you look back at the entire time Pete Carroll's been head coach that has been a real issue. Even with their Legion of Boom defenses, one of their Achilles heels was, hey, you can beat them if you've got a good tight end and you implement them. So something Bruce Arians hasn't really wanted to do with his offense uh, as a head coach, but this would be a game that would be it would seem reasonable, especially O.J. Howard, as athletic as he is. If he can play, Cameron Brate's a solid tight end. Uh, try to get those guys matched up against Seattle's linebackers, and you should be able to exploit them. All right. Well, Corbin, we've reached our score prediction segment of the show. So how do you see this game going down? I just don't have enough faith right now in the consistency of Seattle's defense to think that this is going to be a blowout. I know there are a lot of people projecting that and they're like, oh, it's in Seattle. Well, Seattle's not exactly had the best home field advantage this year. Both their losses have happened at CenturyLink Field. 
So a lot of it's depending on the weather and it's still far enough away at this point that you don't know what it's going to look like on Sunday, but Russell Wilson actually has not played well when it's raining there, which is ironic for a quarterback that plays in Seattle at an outdoor stadium. But I'm going to just sit here and say that the weather is not going to impact the game very much. I I haven't had a chance to look at uh, look ahead forecasts. I usually wait a few days beforehand, but I think this is going to be an offensive football game. I think Seattle's going to be able to throw the football on Tampa Bay secondary. If they can't, that's a real problem, considering everybody else has been able to do it. They should be able to throw the ball downfield. I think Russell Wilson's going to have a big day. I'm also worried this is going to be a day that Jameis Winston comes in and has a good day. Uh, This is a secondary that just gave up 460 passing yards to 38-year-old Matt Schaub. So if the Buccaneers are able to protect him well enough, that's the big question here, if they can protect him and Seattle's pass rush still doesn't come to life, then they're going to have an opportunity to be able to move the ball through the air. Uh, the secondary is solid but not great, especially with the injuries that the Seahawks have had back there. So I'm going to go with a really high-scoring affair, actually. I've got the, Seah- the Seahawks winning 34-30. to I think Tampa Bay will put points on the board. I think the difference maker is going to be Russell Wilson being slightly better than Jameis Winston in this contest. And there may be a turnover or two sprinkled in there for the Seahawks as well. If they can get to Jameis Winston, you and I both know he's got a tendency to try to force the issue a little bit. And if you do that, the Seahawks still have enough talent on defense that they're going to capitalize on that. I could see a key turnover being a, a thing that swings this football game into the home in the home team's uh, direction so they can come away with a four-point win. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm along the same lines of thinking because I think I have less faith in the Buccaneers as a team than you do in Seattle's defense in making this a, a blowout like a lot of people believe. Um, I do think they can keep it close. I do think that the pass rush will get to Russell Wilson a few times. It'll also create some big plays for Tyler Lockett uh, and, and DK Metcalf in the passing game. And I, I, I agree with pretty much everything that you said in your uh, – in your score prediction, here's here's how I see this going down. And I could see this game being 27 to 21 Seattle in the fourth quarter. And the Buccaneers have an opportunity to go down the field, get a touchdown. And that's where that key turnover is going to come in. And I see Seattle capitalizing off of that. I'm taking the Seahawks to win 34 to 21 at home sending the Bucks back to Tampa to face your division rival, Arizona Cardinals, in the Bruce Arians revenge game at the lovely record of two and six. Oh, man. I, I, you know, I, th- I thought the Buccaneers, and I still think they're a team if everything comes together. I, I remember that Rams game early this year. Uh, they're a team that if everything's clicking right, I think, and they've had a couple of games they've been right in the thick of things and just not been able to quite pull it out. So I, I think it's going to be an entertaining game. I, I really do. Uh, I think that it's going to be a, a game that you've got two guys. Jameis Winston, obviously, much less consistent than Russell Wilson. But when he's on his A game, Jameis Winston can be as good as anybody. So there's just the concern for Tampa. Can you block? Uh, can you protect him well enough? And then on the defensive side of the ball, can you get the pressure to Russell Wilson? And if you can't, <laughs> is your secondary going to be able to survive against those receivers? Because that would seem like that's one of the bigger advantages that Seattle has going into this football game. Nonetheless, I, I see some interesting matchups, and I think this is going to be a very competitive football game at CenturyLink Field. Absolutely. Well, Corbin, thank you so much for some of your time. 
for for those locked on Bucks listeners, where can they find everything that you're doing about the Seattle Seahawks? So you can find us on Twitter, uh, locked underscore Seahawks. I also write for the Seahawk Maven, uh, which, which is affiliated with Sports Illustrated. And you can uh, visit si.com slash NFL slash Seahawks. And you can find all of our content on there as well. All right. And of course, make sure you're following him on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can check out everything that I'm doing over at BucksNation.com and follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks at JayYarko underscore Bucks. Hope you all have an absolutely outstanding day, and we thank you so much for joining us right here on Crossover Wednesdays. Labels out here, now they can't tell me nothing. We give it to the people, spread it across the country. Here we go back, this is the moment, tonight is the night. We'll fight till it's over, so we put our hands up like the ceiling can't hold us. Like the ceiling can't